This episode is brought to you by Asperion, the lipid management company. We believe everyone with hyperlipidemia deserves to reach their LDLC goal. Learn more about our singular focus on lipid management at Asperion.com. From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief, with this week's Eagle's Eye View, your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. I'm recording this podcast on Monday, December the 9th. I chose three articles today that I think are very relevant for our practices. The first one is a randomized trial looking at different strategies for use of diuretics in patients with loop diuretic resistance heart failure in the hospital. The second is a really interesting paper looking at the association of race with disease expression and clinical outcomes in patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And the third is a study looking at the optimal strategy for antiplatelet use in patients who've had endovascular revascularization of a lower extremity for a significant ischemia. So let's start. This first paper was published this week in Jack Heart Failure, and the investigators randomized in a double-blind fashion 60 patients hospitalized with acute heart failure who had intravenous IV loop diuretic and were relatively drug-resistant. And the question was, what, what should we add next? They were randomized to either oral metolazone, IV chlorothiazide, or tolvapten. The patients all received concomitant high-dose infusion of IV furosemide. And the primary outcome was weight loss at 48 hours. The cohort uh, did exhibit diuretic resistance prior to enrollment with roughly 1,200 ml of urine in the previous 12 hours, despite ongoing high-dose loop diuretics at a dose exceeding an average of 600 milligrams per day. All three of the interventions significantly improved the diuretic efficiency. Compared to metolazone, neither IV chlorothiazide or tolvaptem resulted in more weight loss at uh, 48 hours. And the cumulative urine output increased significantly across all groups and did not differ between them. The serum sodium decreased less with telvaptan than metolazone, but it was marginally different. And the 48-hour spot urine sodium was lower with telvaptan than metolazone and chlorothiazide. Overall, the authors concluded in this modest-sized diuretic resistance trial that weight loss was excellent with the addition of metolazone, IV chlorothiazide, or telvaptan without a detectable difference. So the perspective, of course, I guess this would be reassuring that any of these strategies is relatively effective. This study was not large enough to identify more modest differences across these three agents, but all three in a modestly designed double-blind trial appear to enhance diuretics success in patients hospitalized with acute heart failure. Clearly, there is such a dearth of randomized information in the use of diuretics in inpatients that any trial, even one this sized, is a welcome addition to our knowledge base. So let's move on to a study which was published in JAMA Cardiology just this past week. This is a study looking at the Human Sarcomeric Cardiomyopathy Registry from 1989 to 2018, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And the question was, was there an association between race and disease expression, care provision, and clinical outcomes among patients with HCM. So the cohort was divided into those that were black and those that were white, and they looked for potential differences in terms of baseline characteristics, genetic architecture, 
and adverse outcomes, which included a lot of things that we care about, cardiac arrest, transplant, LVAD, ICD implantation, of course, mortality, AFib, stroke, and New York Heart Class 3 or 4, as well as septal reduction therapy. And they came up with a composite clinical endpoint of first recurrence of any of a component of, of nasty outcomes, including ventricular arrhythmias, transplant, LVAD implantation, class 3 to 4 heart failure, AFib stroke, and mortality. Among these uh, nearly 2,400 patients, 8% were black, uh, mean age of 40, and 92% were white, mean age of about 46. At the time of diagnosis, blacks were younger, mean 36 and a half years versus about 42 years. And they had a higher prevalence of New York class 3 or 4 heart failure, 22% uh, versus about 15%. They also had a lower rate of genetic testing, 54% versus 62%, and they were less likely to have sarcomeric mutations identified by genetic testing, 26% versus about 40%. Implantation of ICDs did not vary by race, but invasive septal reduction was less common among the black patients, 14 versus 23%. The black patients had less incidence of AFib. Black race was associated with increased development of New York Heart Class 3 or 4 symptoms, and that persisted on multivariable modeling at a hazard ratio of almost 2. There was no difference in all-cause mortality or the composite clinical outcome. So the authors concluded that black patients with HCM are diagnosed at a younger age. They're less likely to carry a sarcomere mutation. They have a higher burden of functionally limiting heart failure, that's class three and four. And they potentially experience inequities in care with lower uses of genetic testing and invasive septal reduction therapy compared to white patients. This is a very important paper. It's a large study and of course, this type of registry analysis is very important as we try to tease out uh, differences in populations. But this one, which established the association of race with both disease expression and outcomes, has not previously been well characterized. And one of the things that we have to think about is whether these differences in care relate to inequities in care or what. Certainly the fact that these patients are diagnosed at a young age and have more advanced heart failure calls to mind a, a need for additional study to figure out whether these differences are truly based on genetics or potentially access to care. So I really want to commend the authors of this paper. It's excellent and I think uh, is one that will be used a lot as we further study the influence of race on hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and its treatment and outcomes. So lastly, I want to talk about a paper that was published in Jack Intervention this week looking at the question, what is the optimal strategy for antiplatelet therapy in patients who have lower extremity peripheral arterial disease and endovascular revascularization? Uh, and this was a study from two hospitals that looked at about 700 patients who had PAD treatment with endovascular revascularization from 2008 to 2013. And they divided the patients into two cohorts. One was the group that received either mono antiplatelet therapy or dual antiplatelet therapy for less than six months versus those who had DAPT for more than six months. And the major outcomes of interest were overall adverse events rates as well as major adverse limb events and gusto major bleeding. During five-year follow-up, MACE occurred less frequently in the patients who received DAPT compared to patients in the other group, and the difference was large, 17% versus 31%. 
Adverse limb events also occurred less frequently in patients who received DAPT for more than six months, and that was 21% versus about 44%. Major bleeding was infrequent, 2.3% versus 3.5% with DAPT. After hazard adjustment, it was significant. The hazard rate of higher bleeding risk was about 1.6. But the authors concluded that, at least in this study, DAPT therapy for more than six months seemed to be associated with less MACE and adverse limb events in the patients who received dual antiplatelet therapy for at least six months. And one of the perspectives that's important is to just look at the event rates. The overall MACE rate was between 17 and 31 percent, it's high, and the adverse limb event rates were 21 percent versus 43 percent. So in five years, whichever arm you're in, there's high risk. Certainly, the study in an observational framework suggests that dual antiplatelet therapy is more effective than single-agent therapy or dual therapy for less than six months. But the high rate of events really also calls to mind the importance of going after secondary prevention in these patients, particularly tobacco cessation, but also blood pressure and lipid management and diabetes management. It's a great paper. It's, it's not randomized, and we need large randomized trials to be confirmed in terms of this finding. But the results, I think, are suggestive that dual antiplatelet therapy is more effective and the bleeding risk is not so substantial that it shouldn't be the dominant strategy. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. We've talked about uh, treatment of inpatient heart failure with uh, diuretics. We talked about the association of race and results of outcomes and treatment in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And then lastly, how we treat patients who receive endovascular therapy for PAD with uh, antiplatelet regimens. Thanks for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org, and you can find these articles on the website as well as the journal scans accompany them. Also, make sure you look at the educational feature on acc.org under education and meetings. This allows you access to all kinds of uh, educational offerings that we have for you, most of which, as you know, are free. And until next week, I hope you have a good one. Thank you.